once you show the want for knowledge, nine out of ten, the person who you want that knowledge from will be like, oh yeah, well yeah, of course I'll tell you, yeah, so you do this. And in two twos, you just got the methodology to do what you thought you didn't know how to do and from the person who you didn't think would share that information with you and you've just skilled yourself up. You are now listening to We Are Crayons, the podcast. Conversations with Trinidad and Tobago's creative thinkers and makers. We'll delve into their processes, their struggles, and what drives them to execute continually as creative individuals. I'm your host, Danu McNichol. Do enjoy. Welcome to another episode of We Are Crayons, the podcast. And today we have the pleasure of speaking with editor, assistant director, Shane Hussain. Shane, welcome to the show, man. Hi, good day. Thank you. Good night. <laughs> Depending on what time you might be listening to this. Yeah, indeed, this is indeed. my first podcast. This is cool. Awesome. So Shane, how was your childhood and how did it influence where you are today? Well, I grew up with my both my parents. You know, I've been you know, fortunate enough to have both parents in my life from forever. They're still together right now. Um, we grew up in Woodbrook until I was eight years old, you know, middle class kind of vibe. My both parents are caterers, you know, so it's constant cooking around the house. My dad is also a home artist, as in, you know, he never took it to the professional stage, but very much an artist. From Woodbrook, we moved to St. Augustine, grew up riding bikes all over Q-Rep and St. Joseph and Trin City. And yeah, my childhood was spent outside pretending pirate ships and you know that we sailing or we in space and yeah i was quite imaginative and being the eldest of six so it's myself and i have one sister and four brothers <laughs> we always had a squad growing up growing up yeah um from st augustine we moved back into port of spain did the our secondary school thing in fatima I was a bit of a troublemaker you know was exactly the model student mm -hmm, mm -hmm. but you know i was trying my best to focus on the things i liked as much as possible and um, stayed in Fatima up through to Form 5. Uh, so I had to repeat. So right. yeah, I repeated to get make sure I got a better mark in my English because right. I was not great in English. Right. You know, I was a sports person as well. Uh, not so much cricket or football. I was a basketballer. Right. Play for the school side and thing. Right. Boom. What led you into the field that you operate in now? After completing Form 5, I think I left school with seven passes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I was a math and, and science kind of guy and geography. Those right. were my things. And I did initially want to pursue some form of engineering. Mm -hmm. That was my thing. Like I was headstrong on, you know, I was so good at math and physics and geography. I was like, yeah, I want to do something with the earth, geology, mm -hmm. or just all out math. But yeah, my misdemeanors in school, True forms one to five earned me two suspensions. <laughs> In all honesty, I know these are things that have shaped me too. You know? Right, yeah. I did some shit. Yeah. yeah. We need to talk about details. But yeah, I earned two suspensions and then that uh, made me eligible for quite a few forms, six schools. So yeah, I, I was pursuing further education. And then, you know, that happened, you know, kind of to my fault. <laughs> And uh, my mom was, my parents were pretty insistent that, you know, I do form six. So in my repeating year in form five, I picked up principles of business and economics and I did pretty well in those as well. Mm -hmm. So she's like, you know what, you want to do business in form six? I tried. I went for it. I wanted to show my parents I could do anything pretty much. But after a year of um, trying to write economic essays, uh, that wasn't me. So I kind of dropped out when I realized, yeah, boy, I can't write a, another economic mm -hmm. essay and get 
a flicking D or E or F. Mm-hmm. It's, that's not me. And I began working, you know, that's where I entered the job market. And I did quite a few jobs. I I worked demolition with my cousin who was, uh, you know, he had a truck and we used to run demolition and, and clearing of rubble and, you know, mm-hmm. that kind of uh, service. Did that for a few years. Got a job with my uncle who was doing uh, plumbing. Mm-hmm. So I would help him do the plumbing drawings. I learned AutoCAD at that point. I went to John Lee and I did a three-month course, you know, mm-hmm. thinking, hey, this is a good thing for me to get into. I understood it. I understood mm-hmm. the plumbing and I understood the drawings and doing that. So I did that for a couple of years as well. And up came my second cousin, uh, Daniel Defantala. You know, my mom, she's my mom's cousin, so it makes me a second cousin. Yeah. Uh, my mom had been catering for her Westwood Park video productions. You know, I've, I've delivered food for them over the years and so on. And she came and she offered me a job. And she's, you know, the word in the family is that she ain't beaten job to job. Mm-hmm. You know, and he, so she offered me a job on set. And um, I was like, yeah, sure. So I, I was got offered to work with the sound department. Uh, so my first lead was Cedric Smart. Mm. You know, Cedric was a sound engineer. And I began just simply wrapping cables and not sound cables as well as uh, stingers, electrical cables. That was my job. You know, I came on set and I was very happy to, you know, be in this weird environment. <laughs> it was weird. It was nothing I ever seen. It was in the office. It was no office with a desk and a computer and you're doing drawing. It wasn't a, 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 a carpentry workshop. Mm-hmm. It wasn't a, a client-based thing like the rubble, which is pretty much client-based because you're visiting with different people's homes and sites and interacting with them to do a service for them. And yeah, it was nothing I'd ever experienced. It was cool, you know. I enjoyed wrapping the cables. I learned the right way to wrap cables. Yes, there is a right way to wrap <laughs> cables. Yeah, you know, that was great. I, I, I enjoyed that thoroughly. And then learning the um, different departments of the set, you know. There's sound, there's the grip on electric department, there's makeup, there's wardrobe, there's the directing unit, there's the producing unit, there's production transport, there's so many departments. And this was our little Westwood Park that to me, yeah, is a TV show. And you think it's a camera and some people and they film. But if there were so many moving parts to this machine, it was amazing. So I got into sound 100%. I began working with Cedric even closer as a boom operator. Some people see the guy with the mic. Yeah, he's just holding the mic. He's actually responsible for capturing that audio that is as precious as the video you're capturing. Mm-hmm. You know, and I, I totally, Cedric instilled in me the wonder of the science of sound, the invisible science. Yeah, and respect to Cedric for that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then I carried on with Westwood Park season three, four, five, six. I got, oh, got the opportunity to learn to edit, you know, I was always curious as well, what happens after we work. And I spent some time in the edit with Daniel Defantala and as well as Akinde Gooding, who is doing all the sound and audio engineering post. And Michael Tony. these guys were the backbone of the post for Westwood Park production. These were the guys who I, I watched work and I had a now new liking for editing. And Daniel gave me the opportunity to get my hands wet on Westwood Park season four, editing. That was my first edit. My first ever putting clips together mm-hmm. to create something that told something of mm-hmm. these people in the frame. Cool. So cool. You know, Westwood Park is a drama. I don't know if everyone notices, but the music that's laid behind each scene was handcrafted by Mr. Phil Hill. Yeah. So, you know, seeing that magic happen too, you know, and everything seal up and you, you export into one 24 minute episode that encompasses the work of 72 odd people from all around the country, some from different parts of the region, trainees who flew in from their international residences. It's really 
pretty cool. And then you go to the TV station with one tape that fits in the palm of your hand to deliver these three episodes that just took nine months. You know, it's, it's epic. It's epic. So that, that's where my love and passion for yeah, getting into film and storytelling seeded. I was, I was truly inspired from delivering food on set to then being allowed to wrap a cable. That was cool. What I'm taking away from that is the ability to be teachable that you needed to have. And not only that too, you know, I mean, I guess, you know, after leaving school and, and realizing, yeah, you know, I see a lot of my friends around me go to university. I, I knew I have a responsibility, not to myself only, but also to my family. And I'm a big, I'm a big brother. I take that seriously mm -hmm. and I don't want them to see me fail. You know, I want to be good and mm -hmm. always be that pursuant in the family and be a good role model, mm -hmm. you know? So I realized that I have to teach myself mm -hmm. if I want to grow and get anywhere. And not just teach myself, but also be open to being taught. It's so important being able to listen. You know, when you have people who are willing to around you to teach you, it is a innate, Thing we have to kind of sometimes be defensive because we sometimes we think we may be knowledgeable of something but it is a great gift to be able to listen sometimes even though when you think you know we truly don't know what he or she may be wanting to share with you and thus being open to information is great because having people around me with the information who's willing to, to teach me as well mm -hmm. is what also made me feel comfortable to continue asking questions going through that process what type of challenges did you face and how were you able to overcome them so having not gone the conventional way of going to university and studying the topic you want and you know then getting into the field whereas i you know tried different fields and ended up in a field where i wanted to learn and basically on the job training when you have when you have purely training on the job and there are your contemporaries or other contemporaries who you may not know uh, return back from college and university with degrees. These people then become direct, not competition, but you know, they are your peers in the industry, but they have the papers behind them. So I guess, you know, one of the major challenges coming up as a freelancer and as a filmmaker was not having the formal education. But that being said, you can say you have the work experience, you can present a resume with years of experience and this and that and that. But at the end of the day, on this island, you know, it may be different in different cultures, but the way our industry is, your work is what speaks for you. Your work ethic, your ability to deal with persons. Right. That was something I recognized from the early. I recognized that, hey, this guy coming in with a film school degree and, you know, all the theory. I still have six years experience on him, but now I had to demonstrate the ability to work with others and some of the things, they don't tell you these things when you leave school. Working as such a close-knit team for that period of time, and I'm, I'm sure it's it's not a walk in the park. It's a high-pressure situation, I would say, probably most of the time. Being um, on set. Yeah. Yeah, not just money going on the drain, you're losing light. light. Mm -hmm. You're losing, uh, you know, actors' time, you know, mm -hmm. scheduling may go out the door the next day because you don't get something done today. So yeah, there's always so many parameters involved. Yeah, and you have to be able to manage that, you know, and manage yourself. So how do you keep yourself motivated in times when you probably say, oh, are you ready to give up? Or did you ever come to that point? You know, I've, I think no matter what profession, we, we, we choose or we are in. As a human, I think, feel like we will always have times where we doubt ourselves. Situations and circumstances will get to us and bog us down. Stress is a real thing. We all handle stress differently. 
there have been many moments when I was studying, boy, is this where I leave filmmaking and go and get a regular job and get real? <laughs> or is that getting real? What, is, what am I doing? What's that? You, you question everything. And hmm, getting through the moments of that, I mean, uh, you know, you could say self-motivation and you read this and you read that and oh, I came from inside. Uh, but I, I feel like in my experience, support of, of your family, if not family, your good friends, if not friends, support of even your, your clients and the people who love you, I think is what helps get you through those moments of, yeah, boy, I am borrowing so much money to make it through these two months that I get no work and don't know what to do next, but you're trying to be creative. And we have to be not just believe in yourself, but also use the motivation of your peers as well. I think I, that has helped me a lot through the years, the motivation of my peers and supporting them in their own ventures, even when I might be down, you know, directing the energy is what's so key as well, you know, directing that chi. I mean, I'm not saying, yeah, okay, if you're feeling down, get out of it and move on. No, you have to study it. You have to study why you're feeling down, you know, okay, what's going on? You know, you have to try your best to analyze the moment, take it in and make a move. Yeah, mm -hmm. that, that's what it is. As a freelancer, I found myself in places a few times over the years where I have to make a move. Either, you know, any pursuit of new work, I have to make a move in the pursuit of making something creative. Because I've also learned that when you put your energy into things and what we do as artists, the energy comes back no matter what. When you put out goodness, the circle may not be as small as you think it'll take to come back, but it's on its way back. Keeping a consistent positive energy is, is such a hippie thing to say, but it's true. One project that made me realize this that I'm saying now is poignant and really true is when I did Soluble. Soluble was my first, I mean, I've done other short films, you know, there's things that I throw up on YouTube, but my Soluble was my first directed film with a purpose. You know, it was, it was a thought I had, it's about water. I'm not going to tell you too much about it, so you could go and Google it and go watch it on YouTube. <laughs> Soluble by Shane Hussain. <laughs> but yes, it's about water and our, our input that we have into water on a daily basis, mm -hmm. which isn't good. I had the thought when I saw the green screen mobile film competition that brought soluble to the forefront of my mind. It was a thought, you know, every time I use water and wash soap or, or wash wears, I use as little soap as I can to just minimize the amount of chemicals and put them back into the stream. Because, you know, in truth and in fact, we capture water from nature, add our ish to it and just add it right back to the ocean, you know, and that, that's really cruel. You know, if, if water was an animal, it'd be wrong to do that, you know? So, I mean, and, and I, it's not something we can um, annihilate, but we can help conserve mm -hmm. and we can minimize the, our uses of pesticides and bleaches and soaps and even down to toothpaste. You know, all these things that we just add back. It's about minimizing and being as aware of it as we are of our uh, plastic and tangible pollutants. So, right, I did Soluble with the help of my real good friend, Dylan Cannell and my son, Jude. And we entered it and we won. We won the film competition. And I never thought I'd win. I mean, I, I did it in, in, in the thread of, yo, we're going to win this. Because my story is the best. And you know what? You have to think that your story is the best, no matter what story you're telling. You have to know your story is the best. And if you don't think it's the best, you need to make it the best that you could make it. Yeah. And we won. And that taught me, yo, when you have something to do, I just need to do it. When you have an idea or you have a thought or an action that you need to do, even if it's within a personal relationship, it always has to be a, a work thing or a creative thing or, you know, you know, you have to clean your room, do it. Mm -hmm. You know, you have, you know, to make this call, 
even though it's going to make you a little anxious to talk to this person, do it. You have a film you want to you make, start talking about it, write it down and do it. That's my motivation, man. When I did that and it, everything happened and flourished and I, I realized I need to just do things. I need to just do it. It is one of the hardest things to do is, is to start, yeah? So is there a particular thing or routine or anything that you need to do to put yourself in a creative state of mind? That made me think of working from home. Mm-hmm. And even just working from home, you know, I wake up in the morning, I, I still, even though I, you know, I, I may not be working every single day mm-hmm. of the week, but I make it a point to get up early every day and have a shower, change my clothes, you know, get to my desk. My desk is my, my working zone and put myself in a frame of mind to be productive. Everybody has ideas. I have ideas as you do. Getting information out of your head in a work mode is, is hard. And I like to make lists and making lists help me a lot. Making lists of things I need to do, even if it's just the laundry or even if it's making a call about getting permissions to shoot this idea I have. Taking little steps on different avenues of things I want to do. So if I have eight things on my list, I may not even do four or I may not do six, but I will do four things towards four of them on my list in small pieces. And slowly you start putting pieces together. And when a project or an idea gets to the point where you put a certain amount of work into it, it begins to snowball. And you have no choice but to put your energy behind it. Creatively, to, to get myself creating, you have to think like a kid, yes, boy. It's weird, but you actually have to remove your kind of adult and all the adults mm-hmm. you've been doing. <laughs> forget about the bills and forget about, oh, I have to put gas and... I have to pick up my son and, uh, I mean, not forget to pick him up, but mm-hmm. <laughs> forget about responsibility and try to think about things like tuck your head in between your shoulders and wonder, how would I like to see this? You know, this is cool. Like, what if I told this story? What, what would I say? Mm, you know, and I think, yeah, try to, trying to think like a kid and just relive an idea or a project from the perspective of something brand new and cool. But I smoke weed too. I, I, I have been smoking marijuana, you know, from through my search for Rastafari in my teens. I'm, I'm going to say I'm an advocate of youth smoking. This is just my experience. I am a functional smoker. In other words, I, I, I'm able, when I smoke, I, I don't get couch bound. I'm able to, you know, get on my computer. And what marijuana does for me sometimes is actually slow my mind down. I think a lot. So being able to slow my, my thoughts down a little bit. And then, like I said, you know, I might have a list of eight things, but when I slow my mind down, I realize, hey, four of those things make sense or are feasible. You know, so in my experience, you know, that's how smoking weed sometimes helps me. It has, marijuana has so many different uses to so many different people. And as a filmmaker, it's not something I do all the time. If we're on set, you know, that's not a place I, I mix. You know, when I'm on set, we are very focused and, you know, it's not a place I smoke. I'm, I'm in, in an edit at home and I'm looking for some ideas or, you know, I'm relaxed. And as an editor, you have to be completely submerged in the project mentally, timing of the project, the music. You have to be into the story and in in that environment. So in terms of create, creative spark in my edit, yeah, sometimes my honor will play an effect there and sometimes not. But creativity, I, I like to reset. I, like, I use nature as a reset. Nature helps me kind of balance creativity and focus. What does creativity mean to you hmm. in that sense? Hmm. When we create something, it is our own self-molding of that, whatever it is. And thus through our molding of that thing or story, we 
put our own energy and ideas and perspective into it. And just that alone, our own personal perspective is creativity. You know, the ability to, for me to tell a story one way and you were right here with me and you tell the story in, a, in your way. And we both write, we both told the same story. Nobody lied, but we created it in each our own way. And that in itself is creativity to me, mm-hmm. to me. You know, we, we, we all have very similar experiences in life and we all tell it differently and express it differently. Some through music, mm-hmm. some through pencil and paper, some through paper and paint, you know, some through carvings, some through dance. It, it, it goes on and on, some through food, some through driving, you know, some through pursuit of a sport. They have a different technique that is their own creative way. So yeah, to me, creativity is that personal perspectual output. How important is it for you to feel accepted in the field that you operate in or even just the work that you do or is just creating enough for you? Being acknowledged for what I do never really mattered to me. <laughs> but you know what? There was a moment when it did. Tell me about that then. It was that moment I saw the list of films that were, were shortlisted for the Green Screen Film Festival and I saw Soluble directed by Shane Hussain filmmaker and at that point when I saw my name next to director and filmmaker that was the only point in my life it mattered it didn't matter before that strange enough but at that point I realized you know I took a picture I sent it to my mom I was like yo I'm a filmmaker now officially I mean I know I'm doing this for 15 odd years (laughs) but check this out you know without you know check this out that's cool I'm a filmmaker, you know, somebody has printed that shit. And then it happened for TTFF again, you know, which was just a year or a couple months later, you know. So the book got in, awesome. It was wonderful in the Carifesta edition 2019. But yeah, see my film, my, my name as filmmaker. It means something, you know, it, it, it was special. Because to me, a filmmaker is not just a storyteller, but somebody who's leaving tangible hieroglyphics of ideas. I'm actually leaving something tangible. On that point, have you figure out or do you have in mind what your ultimate creative goal have you set that for yourself and if yes what Mm. is it and how attainable do you think it is i do have a few filmmaking goals soluble was my very short short i plan on doing music videos i recently did a music video with a reggae band buzz rock on a track called choose ja you know, really poignant story as well that will be soon released. I'm working with Nikolai Salcedo on a music video for one of his uh, tracks, Classic Now. So uh, music videos are something I will always pursue directing or as uh, assistant director to my friend Oliver, my great friend Oliver, director of photography and director as well. I have a feature film which I have written a treatment for and, I, you know, my goal is to get there to direct and get that done. I do have one or two documentary ideas, one concerning potable water in either aisle, a few social experiments I'd like to do as well. And another thing too, I've made a decision to, I I, I want to make the country laugh a little bit. I feel like as a nation, we need to laugh some more. I have a project that I'm going to do very soon to make us laugh. So when you all see it, I think you all know it's me. <laughs> That's all I'd say. Yeah, yeah. We need to laugh some more as a, as a nation together at ourselves. Right. You know, we need to be silly a little bit without being back and Alice and naked. Is there any piece of advice 
that you would have received, whether you read it, whether someone said it to you, something that you overheard, any piece of advice that made a difference in your life that you still hold on to today. There are quite a few pieces of advice I've been told that resonate. The biggest one I see is my dad. My dad once said to me as a teenager, I remember I was probably like now 13, and he said, you don't want to die having something to say. <laughs> I mean, don't, that don't mean go and blurt out what you have to say, but if you have something to say, find a way in which to express it at some point before any nearest future possible. Because we really don't know, you know, we really don't know what tomorrow brings. So, yeah, uh, that was one of the biggest pieces of advice I would say that resonate with me. And also, don't listen to respond. Listen to understand. That was from my cousin. <laughs> yeah, he told me that. Don't listen, don't listen to respond, you know. Listen to understand. And of course, think before you speak. That's the biggest one. <laughs> so, you know, all these things with a pinch of salt and you have to apply them, you know, accordingly, you know, with with a little push and a little pull. Nothing is, is ever straightforward. And yeah, and we have to we have to constantly be improvising, adapting, overcoming, thinking and deriving what you are. Yeah, because out of your mouth comes the expression of you. And that is that truly you? It's what you're about to say truly you is what you're about to write truly you is what you're about to draw truly you is what you're about to think truly you that's the hardest part trying to be true to yourself through not holding back things to say through listening to understand through think before you speak <laughs> you know parameters of life live through everything you know the energy thing as I, I referred to earlier you know that applies to this as well in my life you know try to output what you expect back as well you know but at the same time be selfless and mindful what Shane would you like to be most remembered for being a good dad that's it everything else could fall in after mm-hmm it's a good thing there's not a camera interview. <laughs> <laughs> no, I feel I feel that. I feel that. Yeah, man. Nothing else matters. When I feel like yeah. And having good parents taught me that. Three cheers to Stephen Shelley side. Okay, Shane. So tell us where we could connect with you online and how we can see some more of your work. Yeah, um, my work, uh, I've I've been very good on my LinkedIn. <laughs> Even though LinkedIn hasn't been made for filmmakers, I felt it was a good place to catalog the work I wanted to catalog. Um, not all of my work is there, but you know, I felt that the most poignant and important projects are there. So I'm on LinkedIn. Um, I'm also on Facebook. Well, Facebook is for me, you know, fun, more personable. So I don't really share too much work there. Um, my handle on Instagram is at Shane Dehos. And that's a hodgepodge of, of life. So that includes filmmaking, nature, me and my family, and just me sometimes. I'm on IMDb for a few of the things I've done. I have a YouTube channel, um, Shane Osai on YouTube. I've, I'm now starting to curate my online presence. I think I've, I've, I haven't curated it as well as I'd like it to be. If you want to hit a little subscribe and follow me on Instagram, I'll, 
I'll vibes you right back for sure. I'm open to, you know, anybody who has any questions, you know, about, you know, assistant directing or even editing. I mean, I'm, I'm not, I'm not the best in the world, you know, but you know, I, I, I know a few things and I'm, <laughs> I'm happy to, you know, I'm happy when people come ask me about things about, you know, I'm happy to have people want to visit us on set if we're doing something. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm, I'm really, really, I love, I love uh, imparting any information I can because that is how I learned. Once you show the want for knowledge, yo, nine out of 10, the person we want that knowledge and will be like, oh yeah? Well, yeah, of course I'll tell you. Yeah, so you do this and this and thing and bam and boom. And in two twos, you just got the methodology to do what you thought you didn't know how to do and from the person who you didn't think would share that information with you. And you've just become, you've just skilled yourself up. Assistant direction, I didn't know assistant director even existed until a project, somebody pointed that role out to me and I used the internet to then teach me what is an assistant director. And I was like, hey, I kind of, I dig this, what this person does and I could do this. Uh, let me give it a go. Gave it a go and I totally enjoy the process of pre-producing as an AD, production as an AD, and post-production as an AD as well. It, it is exhilarating for me to be able to order things in a way that the director is comfortable and crew is comfortable to work in, have it executed in the safest, timeliest, uh, best manner creatively for cast and crew and the director, and then to get to the end of a project and know that we got to the end of the project and we ticked everything on that list. We may have had a little reshoot because of rain or some, you know, something extraneous uh, affected the shoot and timing. But when you get, as a AD, when I get to the end and we call that rap, that is my biggest moment. Like, no, just knowing that we got it, yes. And see that smile on the director face and on the makeup artist face and on the grip face and on the transport guy face and on, you know, everybody's faces that we all just came together and completed a project to the image and likeness that we wanted it to. We just told a story. That's great. So we'll put links to all of that in the show notes. And Shane, I just want to thank you, bro, for taking the time out, welcoming into your space. Truly appreciate yeah, it. This is enjoyable. Hi, I'm Shane Usain, and in a big box of crayons, I am that kind of tropical day. Please share this episode with anyone who would find it valuable. Subscribe to get new episodes on Apple Podcasts. Leave us a review and a rating. It will help us find other listeners just like you. The show is also available on Stitcher or the podcast app of your choice. Find show notes and additional content on abigboxofcrayons.com. Follow us on Instagram at abigboxofcrayons. Send us feedback to info at abigboxofcrayons.com. We Are Crayons, the podcast is a production of a big box of crayons all rights reserved until next time friends remember we are all the same in the fact that we'll never be the same stay colorful and thank you for listening